Welcome to episode 43 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me on the couch today is my co-host, Matthew Aguilar. What up? And in one of our rare carryovers from the previous episode, we are bringing back one of our WWE champions, Mr. Connor Casey. I'm back. And we're bringing him back mostly for a little Mia Koopa because uh, he and Matt teased in our last episode the uh, upcoming WWE Stomping Grounds, and they weren't very enthusiastic about this whole tease, but uh, it turned out Stomping Grounds was pretty good, pretty entertaining. So we're going to have you guys come back, eat some crow, and tell us why you were wrong and Stomping Grounds was so good. I'm just kidding. We're just going to break down all the matches and all the results, but we're going to do more than that today. We have a lot to get to. We have two new films to review, Child's Play and Annabelle Comes Home in a horror theme. We're going to be talking a little bit of Marvel because we're going to be talking about the Avengers Endgame re-release in theaters. And there are some films that are going to be coming up that uh, kind of bring back some uh, popular franchises that we're going to be discussing. So stay tuned for that. All right. You like how I just hooked that at the end? <laughs> I just hooked it at I the did, end. I tried to play. And if you were watching, you can see that I am sporting our Comic Book Nation official T-shirt. You know, we could say a lot of things about the perks of this company, but one thing we can never say is that we do not have really fly apparel. That's we a get boss really, man. Yeah, we get really good T-shirts. Like, yeah. That's my I favorite mean, shirt like, that we had. An period. elite team overseas was sewing this stuff. It wasn't wow. just the usual... <laughs> it wasn't the usual shift. We get the elite shift to make these clothes. So, not, I mean. Not touching that one. Yeah. We're going to read some reviews. And if you guys, I mean, if you can see this, this shirt's pretty awesome, this Comic really Book is. Nation shirt. So, we're going to read some reviews and show you guys, uh, give some people a chance to uh, For get For those one. of you who can't see it, but do see the album art for the podcast, just think of the Comic Book Nation logo on a very nice, either Heather Gray, dark Heather Gray, or a darker uh, black. Um, shirt, and then you will see the shirt that Kofi's. Wearing. Is that the color? Is Heather Gray? That one is the darker one. Yes, this is the darker one. We have yes, a lighter. It's very one. nice. Makes me very think nice. of a Frasier episode. Oh boy. Anyway, here we go. <laughs> so you just. Oh man. What did I do? Ninety-five percent of our audiences are. Can only what did I do? This. You've got to describe I the shirt, and I applauded. And no, no, I said, I'm not. I'm not it, saying it about the, your description. I'm talking about him throwing me off. It was the Frasier reference. Yeah. Just completely knock me when out. When he's of, talking like, about his carpet, and he's like, "Oh, yeah. I have like five. No, Jim Jim Viscardi's very uh, soothing pitch <laughs> was very good. Yeah, what? but uh, the Fraser thing it was you apt. Keep that it was apt. Yourself. It We're was not talking Fraser. We're going to be talking about some other stuff. So let's get started. Uh, Avengers Endgame headed back into theaters this week. I, I was a little ahead of myself last week. I kept thinking last week was this week. I was writing stuff for Annabelle Comes Home, like, to come out, and that's this week. I'm, like, thinking Avengers is back. Just zoomed theaters. right past Toy Story. <laughs> yeah, I did. I mean, you know, I, I made that clear that I was going to do did. that. You did. Yeah, so uh, Avengers Endgame is headed back into theaters this week, and we were up here debating and kind of even writing pieces on comicbook.com about, like, what this re-release would be. Would it be worth it? What would be kind of – there were things that were going to get deleted scenes at the end of the movie – uh, a tribute to Stan Lee, but there was going to be also a nice little surprise that Marvel Studios head Kevin Feige teased. But now we confirm that it is what, you know, our lamest option that we thought would be on the table. The which would lamest. Be, what's that? Just, just the worst. Yeah, just the lamest, which would be a preview of Spider-Man Far From Home, which and comes out like in a couple days anyway. Which I feel like we've seen a ton already. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're on TV spot like 26 right now. <laughs> so like in clips and clips and clips. So we're not like exactly in the dark about this. 
Um, so the question is, now that we know, we're not going to spend too much time on this, but now that we know what it is, has it changed your opinions? Because I think, I mean, you, Matt, I know your opinion. <laughs> you were like, I'm not helping Marvel beat Avatar. James Cameron forever, I believe was your quote. Um, <laughs> I think that was verbatim what I yeah. said. <laughs> but, uh, Connor, you were you were saying you had incentive, like me, you said you had incentive to go back out and see this. So I'm just kind of curious, has your opinion changed? Not really. I'll still go to it. Me too. L- like, Bam! Like, there it is. Yeah. Like I said before, I kept getting told, hey, it, it works better the second time you see it. If if my only reason is hey I wanted to beat Avatar that works too. I mean there you go. I mean and it's I'm not on the just same boat. that either. So if how upset are you going to be when it? It's a deleted beat scene Avatar? too. No, I furious. think I think the push this weekend could do it. I mean it could just give it enough legs to if it, not in this weekend it, it won't do it this week. No, not this week, but it will be enough of a push to to help. The kind of, you know, last legs of it. Just lessen the amount the Kevin Feige has to personally buy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's got the money, so it's not <laughs> More conspiracy theories. What? It, buy, uh, studios buying tickets is a time-honored tradition. I mean, you got to make up 38 mil. You do <laughs> what you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do what you got to do. And to hold the branding power of number one like movie, movie franchise uh, in the world of all time. That's some like cachet. That. Yeah, that's yeah so you need to do that. And uh, when we do it, we'll know that it was, you know, true warriors like me and Connor who made it happen. But, uh, hey, man. I'll watch Howard's we'll like you. you that I'll watch, we'll I'll watch that. Captain Marvel Blu-ray, buddy. I'll watch that what unfinished what if, what if that, Hulk scene later. What if, what, if that crowd, what if that crowd that, like, wanted everyone to go see Alita, like, oh <laughs> comes out and, and, like, you know, just goes and, I don't know. How well, would they? It, <laughs> it didn't help that movie. How would the they? Were you saying they would balance the scales again? Yeah. Like they would, yeah, yeah, somehow. All right. We're not going to get too deep down the rabbit hole. We're going to be talking about this. We'll see where Avengers Endgame is when we come back next week for next week's episode. See how close we are to beating Avatar. But, uh, yeah, Connor and I will be going out to help the support effort. Well, so Hope what do you there. think it's going to do this weekend? <sighs> I mean, I give it like 15, 20. 15? 15 to 20. 15 to 20? Yeah. I'm going to say... I don't think it clears 10. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm 10 to 15. 15 high, but I'm around 10. I think it'll be an initial push this weekend, and then once, if we can get it in, like, 10 million or less range, like, then people will really kind of get hungry to go out and maybe push us over the line. But you're pulling us back. We're moving forward. We're going to move from Avengers on to, like I said, there are a couple... Big um, names in movie franchises that are trying to make a return. We've gotten reports this week. And we're going to start with the first one of them, one of the biggest ones of the 2000s, The Matrix. So we've been hearing about a Matrix 4 or a Matrix reboot for so, like, so many years. But in the last couple years, we keep getting these little snippets that say from people who are, like, working in or around the Wachowski brothers or people who worked around people who worked with them, kind of hinting that we're getting a new Matrix and that they are... I said Wachowski brothers. I'm sorry, the Wachowskis. Yeah, I was say, they're not. They're not brothers anymore. Yeah, I know. Thank you. Thank you about the update. I was still thinking in the 2000s. I'm sorry. Things have changed. But the Wachowskis <laughs> uh, are working on a new Matrix, and that you know now we're hearing details like uh, writer Zach Penn could be handling the script, and that this will be kind of a reboot, and that Michael B. Jordan could star. Now this is still hasn't been confirmed by like Warner Brothers or anybody, but. The mentions have included like people like John Wick director Chad Stahelski, who said it. Um, and now, like, yeah, people have just kind of been talking, and people aren't like denying it so much as they are 
like Zach Penn's not denying it, but he's just kind of like eh, not talking about it, which is sometimes you know the best kind of acknowledgement that non answer. Yeah, the yeah. non answer is the answer. Um, so we're waiting to hear this, but just to kind of kick this topic off. Do you guys want to see the Matrix concept? And when Zach Penn did answer, he said, don't think of it as like a sequel or like a reboot. He said, watch things like the Animatrix and the comics that the Wachowski did about it and kind of put your head in that space, which is just another way of exploring that world. Because the Animatrix, which is one of my favorite like animated short anthologies of all time, um, really great. Like I was blown away when I went home and put that in because I wasn't expecting much. And I was like, it's just going to be, like, some cheap stuff. Like, it's going to be crap. And then, like, yeah, from the first little, you know, vignette all the way through, like, it was just a really good exploration of of the Matrix concept and that whole thing. And so I kind of more want to see something like that, like something that isn't enslaved to the the franchise that we have but allows you to play in that world and explore different concepts and, like, things you can do within that world, like – one of my favorite was the track runner from Animatrix, the guy who's like running the uh, track meet, and as he's like pushing himself so hard physically, he begins to crack and see mm-hmm. that he's like in the Matrix and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like things like that were love super, the art design on that one. Yeah, that was like super. I think that one was like Aeon Flux kind of animation, if I remember correctly. But um, yeah, super interesting stuff that you can do with this concept. So I'd be down for something like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm down for that. I also don't mind. Um, you know, more things that, like, surround the three movies as far as, like, pieces of time or whatever, but we see what other characters were doing during that kind of overall thing. Like, I, as much as the game part of it kind of sucked, I loved Enter the Matrix. I actually loved Enter yeah, the Matrix. I, I liked really the game, it. the fight mechanics, <laughs> bullet time were awesome. I really liked it. I played and the whole the thing. And the scenes and how it tied yeah. into the film. Like, yeah. it really made... It was cool. Look, I'll be the first to admit, when the Matrix, like, the second two came out, I was actually living down here. Um, in Nashville, where we may or may not record and be housed, oh, and I gotta make it weird. Yeah, geez, had, just would. to keep people unsure, you know, I gotta keep the <laughs> gotta keep the mystery. But um, yeah, I was so deep into this world, like yeah. I was so deep into it, because I think I, I was in college when two came out, and I had just gotten out of college and moved down here when three hit. Um, and yeah, the Enter the Matrix came out, and I, I wasn't doing much. I was like working at Green Hills Movie Theater and just. Going home and like so deep into my Matrix world, playing End of the Matrix, but I love that. My PlayStation, by the way, during that time was on its last legs, but I was trying to because I had already bought the game and then it started dying. So I tilted my PlayStation <laughs> up vertically, leaning on a on a thing of books, so that it would catch the spinner would catch, and so that's how I played that whole game, just waiting. I was like, I need to save. I need to save before my, my console dies. Man, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was me. But, like, yeah, so, so something like that, like, yeah, Enter the Matrix, good concept or something, so you would take, like, an interquel, something that kind of yeah. had to do with the other films, but, like, on a side story. Yeah, exactly, because, like I mean, there's, there's enough meat to that world to see. I mean, what do you think? I think it needs to get away from the stink of the sequels, especially the third one. Like you mentioned this not being necessarily a sequel or a reboot. My thought was make it a sequel that is essentially a reboot because the whole gimmick that we learned in the second one is that the Matrix is just a repeat of this same cycle over and over. And Neo's like the sixth one, the, the sixth one, quote unquote, to do this. So why not have Michael B. Jordan be the seventh or yeah. be one of the See, earlier versions? That's the kind of thing I'm kind of worried about being trapped in back into that storyline. 
Because, yeah, it was they didn't quite stick the landing of that whole, like, I'm Superman of fantasy world Right, thing. but how, how can you... How can you up the stakes with a side story, essentially? If, if we already know that this, this simulation, we know what it is, we know how it ends, and we know the stakes that it's left with by the time the end of the third movie, it's going to be kind of hard to get the stakes up again. That's a good point. Well, I to think compared to the last The movies. only two things that make The Matrix unique is, I think you have to remember that the, the real thrill of the first one that kind of made the, the, the second two or the two sequels really challenging was the first one, the real hook was learn, watching all these people kind of learn how to manipulate the Matrix and kind of access these powers. And not just Neo, but like Trinity, Morpheus, mm -hmm. all these people who could kind of manipulate the Matrix and do all these things. But in the sequels, it became so obsolete because Neo and the agents and everybody became so powerful that it was just like, yeah, Morpheus and Trinity having a fight just means they die. Yeah, Neo like, really didn't have a threat until the last battle with Smith. Exactly. And like in 3 out 2, it's just like him flying around. It's just like his threat was, oh, I'm too far away mm -hmm. to like get there in time and save everybody. He was just Superman. And so like the second part is Matrix and 2 and, and 3 especially kind of puts together I, the idea that like what Neo is doing isn't just him, but it's just like you know, the whole fatalism thing that, that runs through it is all these little parts have to happen for everybody. Like, the Enter the Matrix stuff has to happen, and Nairobi just arrives just in the nick of time. And, like, that whole thing, like, on the highway chase where she catches him on the hood of the car, like, mm -hmm. in the game, you have to figure out how challenging and how close that actually is and, and for Morpheus not to splatter all over the highway and for her it's to catch really him. Cool. They're really right. cool. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> it's like a program, so everything has to kind of click, and it would be kind of... So I say all that to say, if you were to go back to, like, the first one or something like that and see somebody like Michael B. Jordan learning just to do cool stuff, not necessarily in the same way that, like, Neo did or other people did, but to access and mess with the Matrix and be, like, a really good fighter or stuff. <coughs> Sorry. And then do something that actually you didn't know but was so crucial to kind of making everything else click into place and to mm. help Neo do whatever. Like, that would be kind of cool. That worked. What, what they cannot do, which was, I heard, I heard the rumor that this was originally what they were trying to do, was a Morpheus prequel. Yeah, well, where Michael B. Jordan is a young Morpheus. I have zero interest. Oh, in please don't do that. Yeah, yeah. I have, yeah I'm with you. Yeah, you lose me about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to see that. So let's just leave it at that. Let's do something yep. interesting. Let's not do just that. Just don't do that. Yep. Okay. But we won't do that. All right. Some meatloaf for you. <laughs> All right, moving right along. Taika Waititi, man who has been burning up the charts ever since he kind of broke out with Thor Ragnarok. Um, he's been taking on, I mean, this man is not backing down for some challenges. Like, he is a glutton for punishment or just, you know, the best kind of savant who, who has plan, like, you know, Phil Lord, Chris Miller type plans for things. Because he's taking on an Akira adaptation which we've talked about on the show no pressure there yeah for real <laughs> and since he wasn't like you know that wasn't enough of a challenge he was like you know what i'm going to get get in there and i'm going to handle and kind of shepherd this flash gordon animated movie so flash gordon is <laughs> one of the biggest kind of iconic cult hit movies of all time Getting an animated movie, kind of being shepherded by Taika Waititi. I, I mean, it just, I like this because it just boggles the mind as to what this guy could do with the Flash Gordon concept. Because you know it's not going to be like straight up. It's not going to be like straight up, literal, just no, Flash no. Gordon. Like, he's going to do something. Do we need 
An animated Flash Gordon, a take on Flash Gordon? No, of course not. But we're gonna get one. Not that's the point, though. But like Taika Waititi, I feel like is the one was like one of two people besides like Phil, like Chris Miller and Phil Lord who could mm. take that thing that you'd be like nobody freaking needs this mm -hmm. and I th turn it into something. I would rather see Taika Waititi do something Flash Gordon like on his own as opposed to just. Do the Flash Gordon. I mean, can I, I would just like him to do just the do Flash something else. Gordon movie. I mean, just do uh, the live action know, movie. Like the live action. I know, but like, just do that. I got. I don't necessarily need to see an animated thing. I do think, though, what'll probably happen is if this actually becomes like a real thing and he like it, it actually comes out. It'll probably be really entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, like he's gonna mess with the whole Flash Gordon. Yeah, it's gonna be like, fun. Like concept. Like no like, one's yeah. too attached to the Flash Gordon mythos. They can kind of, he can kind of do whatever he wants with this. I mean, I'm sure there are a couple out there. The vast majority of people are like, people. wait, that was the thing from the Queen song, right? Like, I think that song is more well known in this generation Flash. than the movie. Oh. Yeah, and Ted, and Ted, and is Ted. Why. I was gonna yeah. say Flash Ted's the other one. is what Ted is why Flash Ted's Gordon lives one. on. Seth MacFarlane's love of Flash Gordon. <laughs> True, but I hope that Taika like brings Sam J. Jones in to like voice. Flash oh yeah, Gordon again. no, he's, like, he's, he's got to do that. Yeah, you got to do that. It has him just saying because that's my favorite thing about the Ted movies is not just that they bring Sam J. Jones in, but they bring him in and have him do like this just like absurd <laughs> caricature of himself. It's yeah, just like to a coked, me, like a coked out, like <sighs> coked out, like you know Hollywood cult. Hit That's what we really need another Ted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, eh, two was just okay. Oh, but I want a Ted three. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I like again, like I trust Taika to do something really funny and crazy, maybe even just kind of lampooning these whole like 80s cult hit movies with their crazy effects and stuff like that and their absurdness. That'd be really fun. I mean, like, look what he did with what we do in the shadows for like mm -hmm. vampire movies. True. Like, the man knows how to, and even Thor, he kind of turned Thor on its head and, like, completely transformed that into a comedy that's also a pretty deep story about immigration. Yeah. Like, it's... It, It'll and, also greatly depend, though, on the animation style. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. That's going to honestly be the big thing that is going, can I sit through an hour and 45 minutes of that looking like that? Like, animated movies live and die on that, I feel like, even if they're great stories and characters, sometimes animation just... Uh, and I kind of want to tap him on the shoulder and be like, maybe you should just flip concepts. Like, maybe you should do an Akira animated movie in, like, a live action. <laughs> I feel like that makes that challenge even harder. Akira? It's like, yeah, doing, it's like, hey, everyone loves the anime. Try it again. Well, that's, I mean, I mean, yeah. That one, though, that property, I feel like he's just, it doesn't matter what type of movie you make that. Like, it's, there's pressure. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. All right, so I think Here's it's going to be a... Can Taika burn all of his goodwill if both of those movies bomb? I don't... I don't the know. Flash Gordon, I don't think it'll affect it no, whatsoever. Then, he, then he's two <laughs> Because none four. of them are mainstream enough. I think, like, if Thor 4 sucked, like, yeah, mm -hmm. that's a different story. But, I mean, you know, I think if you were to burn both of these, there's still that fourth Thor 4. <laughs> well, you had a director jail. I think Akira is a blemish, though, if... Like it's oh, I mean it's a black like that one. If it's like hits, it's if it's be, like culturally offensive, then yes. But if right. it's just a passing movie, then yeah, I think people might just forget. And, it, and I think the impact will be limited to a very niche audience yeah. who will be angry about it. Yeah, people are still talking about Ghost in the Shell. Are they? Are they though? People still talk about. I keep forgetting uh, that movie happened. I, I yeah, Avatar I don't think, right? I don't the think the Airbender? major mainstream movie guardians even recognizes that Ghost in the Shell happened. <laughs> so like yeah, I don't know about that. But, all right, moving on to our third film, trying to, or that could be making a comeback, 
Danny Boyle recently revealed, you know, Danny Boyle, who has directed things like 127 Hours, almost directed James Bond 25 till that all went to uh, down the crapper. Um, <laughs> he has revealed, but like one of the things that really put Danny Boyle on the map, besides things like train spotting, was his kind of breakout late 90s, early 2000s. I forget exactly which year it came out. Uh, film 28 Days Later. And he has revealed that he and Alex Garland actually have the idea for a 28 Days Later 3. Because if you remember, it was 28 Days Later, and then uh, the next film was 28 Weeks Later, which had uh, Hawkeye himself, Jeremy Renner. 2002 it, is when that first one came out. 2002, mm. yeah. I knew it was like, it was right around there because I was in college when it came out. And that movie, oof. Like, yeah, we all think we live through like the zombie resurgence now, but like, man, 28 Days Later. Such a freaky movie. Like, so... I don't think zombies have ever been scarier than in that franchise. Because uh, if you remember... If you don't remember your zombie history, these were the fast-running zombies. This was the first mm-hmm. first of the fast zombies. Yeah. Which are always creepier to me than... Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. And, Easy. And this, like, the rage... Like, the thing, they just call it rage. And it's just like... Yeah, I mean, it's great because nobody has to bite you. It's like, you get splattered... With some blood and it get it's like a real infectious disease almost like Danny Boyle imagine this as like a real mass outbreak mm-hmm. like yeah if you get some blood in your eye like uh, poor what's his name Brendan Gleeson gets in his eye in the first film like yeah you instantly transform it's not like you die and then you eventually get back up three minutes yeah. later no it's like a thirty second process and that's the messed up thing about twenty eight days later is like when they have to make the decision like somebody gets infected you literally have like one split. minute yeah you to have a, a split decision second to before they just turn into an incredibly fast moving adrenaline pumped rage monster and if you don't make that choice you're probably dead yeah you're probably dead yeah. and like that's one of my favorite things is Naomi Harris like in the kitchen where somebody gets like when they're early on when somebody gets mm-hmm. bit she just turns around and her friend and just immediately just <laughs> well, you have that to. dude yeah. to death and you're like whoa. But uh, 28 weeks later wasn't as strong, but really freaky. But like, yeah, uh, the end of that movie suggested that, you know, it, it isn't contained because the little boy, that whole movie is freaky because they're trying to get out of out of London before it gets cleansed and firebombed. And Imogen Poots and her little brother escape, but he's a kind of recessive carrier of the disease. So it doesn't make him a rage monster, but he still has it. Yeah. And that was like the whole hook of that story is he gets it like his mom does. Um, so now there's a chance that this gets out. And, like, yeah, I would love to see something on the scale of, like, you know, what is it, 28 weeks? 28 days, 28 weeks, 28 months later. 28 years? 28. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. 28 years later. I'm yeah. fighting you for that copyright. <laughs> and, uh, we yeah, said it the same something time. like World War Z should have been, right? But, like, with just, like, crazy rage monsters everywhere. Mm. Or but without dying the out. building the giant hill. Out of each other. Yeah. Exactly. God, the ant hill. The ant hill. So, <laughs> this is something, I mean, this, just to be clear, like, this is just an idea, and they're just putting it out in press right now. Nobody's really, like, this isn't in development, this isn't greenlit, but we're reporting on it because we want it to happen. Like, I want this next movie. Like, it, screw this zombie, like, era. I want the real but stuff But that's back. the thing. I guess that's the most interesting thing to me is that I feel like not too long ago, we were talking, like, not necessarily us three, but, like, pe- like society and, like, the genre of fans overall we're talking like we're kind of done like we're over the zombie apocalypse we're over dystopian futures we're over like that because we had so much of it i mean from the walking dead and all these other spinoffs and all these other you know wannabes that kind of came out around that same time so there's a part of me that's like i'm surprised by just how much people are like yeah let's let's get another one i kind of thought everyone was 
ready for a break. Well, the, the thing about it is you have to come to the zombie subgenre with a different take. And this series had one of those, which is why I got so much excitement in the first place and why a, a third installment could do the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think Danny Boyle is, is good at mixing genre and art. Uh, 28 Days Later was so also so good because it was so low-budget looking, shot on like a handheld a lot. But the scenes of just London being empty and cleared out. The subway scene. Stuff, the subway. It's black. Yeah, like all of that stuff was so well shot and so well done. And it didn't carry over necessarily to the sequel. But if he were to come back and do this again with Alex Garland, that'd be a real powerhouse team up. So, And I think the story they tell would be like modern and relevant. And there's a lot to tell. I mean, just with like the amount of conflicts, refugee, humanitarian yeah. crises going on all over the world. No this real good... world parallels at all. <laughs> yeah, no, like there's some good ways to make this a really great film. So I'm campaigning and I hope this happens. All right, so that's our uh, trying to influence the industry five <laughs> minutes there. Stay tuned because when we return, we are going to be reviewing new horror releases, Child's Play and Annabelle Comes Home. And Matt and Connor are going to take us through the results of... WWE stomping grounds, and I guess a little bit of what's happened happened on Raw since then. All right, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Okay, so here's where we're going to try to make up some time, because I'm going to give you guys some quick spoiler-free reviews. I saw both Child's Play and Annabelle Comes Home, and did the reviews that are now up on comicbook.com, where you can read both of them in our horror section. Uh, but basically, I gave Child's Play a 2, and Annabelle Comes Home a 2.5, and for some Long-time fans of the franchise for Annabelle, I would say three. Um, here's kind of my breakdown, because they're kind of similar. My breakdown for both films is kind of similar. And it's this. Like, both Child's Play and Annabelle are two horror movies that start off and build up in the first two acts actually surprisingly well, uh, better than I thought. For Child's Play, what you get is this kind of interesting new take on Chucky that creates a kind of almost like ex machina story where... Chucky is this smart doll that's, that's basically had all the normal restrictions removed. And so he's not inherently evil. He just has the potential to learn without any kind of safeguards as an artificial intelligence. And because of what this kid's life is and the circumstances he in, he's in and what he enjoys and just normal, you know, our normal psychopathic human behavior every day, like watching horror movies and stuff, yeah. of people getting hacked up and laughing about it, like this is, smart toy begins to learn all these messed up behaviors from, from you know, the humans around him, mm-hmm. which is an interesting take on Tucky, mm-hmm. on Tucky, on Chucky. Uh, where it falls apart is in the end where Chucky goes full Chucky and becomes evil because that only really worked in the original because Brad Dorff played such a really good kind of sadistic, maniacal serial killer hiding in a doll's body. And when he finally has to expose himself, like, it's freaky because, yeah, there's a serial killer with a serial killer's personality doing this, and it all makes sense. By the time Chucky is deciding to cut off heads and and just wholesale murder people, that film, I mean, Child's Play really jumps the shark because it it doesn't feel organic or like an organic development of the character. Yeah. Like a conflicted doll, excuse me, (coughs) kind of doing this stuff because it's learning, like, the wrong behaviors is one thing. Yeah, but when it's a mall in the final set piece and he's trying to kill everybody in the mall... Just to do evil, like, yeah. I mean, then it, it falls apart. And Mark Hamill does a great job as a creepy Chucky. Like a Chuck in the doll, like making the doll smile and like being in your yeah. face at weird times. And 
Hamill's great about kind of creating this voice that sounds almost like disembodied from like whatever oh, person yeah. it's supposed to be in. And it just sounds so offbeat and weird when it talks to you. Mm. And so like Chucky creeps you out. But uh, yeah, when he's just going full murderous Chucky, it's just like a Joker kind of almost like a Joker rehash and it's just over the top. And like the whole end scene, like I started literally like falling asleep when I was watching the movie because it was just like mindless carnage. It was just, you know, it, it just kind of falls apart. Um, Annabelle Comes Home is, a, is similar in that vein in that it begins, there's actually really well drawn, one of the best teen characters in horror movies I've seen in a long time. There's actual motivations for, like, why, okay, so why they're home alone, these teens, why one of them goes in the room and does the dumb thing of getting Annabelle out of the case. They create an actual strong emotional narrative around all this and around the Warren's daughter, making her kind of pushing her in the spotlight of the franchise. Um, and all of that is good. There's even a funny guy who's, like, in love with a babysitter, um, and he's a funny, hilarious kind of comedic character, newcomer actor yeah. who shows up. He's called, his name is Bob Got Balls, and I'll let you figure out why in the movie. Um, it's not gross. I, I promise it's not as gross as you think. <laughs> How is it not? Because it's a running gag. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's a running gag of the movie. It's a running gag of the movie about why this kid is like referred to as Bob Got Balls. And when you figure it out, it's actually pretty funny. Okay, sure. Um, so Annabelle in like the whole premise of her getting into the, the doll, infecting this room of the Warrens and basically demon Avengers in yeah. like a house is good. And it, and it's creepy most of the time until you get to the final act into the ending. In which case, like this is a rated R horror film, but it's surprisingly tame and has very little actual teeth to it when it comes to like, not scares, but like actual hurting people, injury, like yeah. real, consequences and and oomph, like there's not so much of that so like it feels like a pg-13 yeah exactly yeah. it feels like adventures in babysitting got really intense one night <laughs> um as opposed to like a traumatic event where a demon yeah. creates like supernatural havoc in a house and so i was kind of disappointed by how tame it actually turns out to be um and it's done by the writer of the entire annabelle trilogy and the guy who wrote the nun so i was surprised because you know all the past installments of these movies i mean they definitely have like a lot of death and carnage and yeah. some really freaky moments so i was kind of disappointed by how tame this one was but like i said for a lot of it the actual scares and the, and using the different kind of demons is kind of entertaining and very creepy and there's some really good kind of inventive scares in it so Two-thirds of it are really good, disappointing ending, and the same thing could be said for Child's Play. If you had to compare the two, I would say absolutely go see Annabelle over Child's Play. Um, you're going to have a much better experience. But, uh, yeah, that's it for me. Uh, it's almost like yeah. they should have swapped endings. Hmm. Right. So do neither rank particularly high in their respective franchises? I would say that Annabelle Comes Home is in the middle of the Annabelle trilogy. It's better than the first one, which was just like this really muddled and kind of slow-moving mess. But it's nowhere near as good as the sequel, Annabelle mm. Creation, which is like one of the freakiest and well-done horror movies I've seen in the last few years. Um, Child's Play, I would say, uh, ironically, I was talking to here, Chris Killian here, I would say Child's Play would have been so much better if it was just an original sci-fi horror movie about a boy trying to, like, befriend this malfunctioned yeah. smart doll. Sure. Or a great Black Mirror episode would have been really great about about how technology isn't corrupted on its own. Like, it takes us and yeah. all our crap to kind of feed into, you know, 
our children, essentially technology, we just bring all our crap and kind of corrupt them. That would have been an interesting Black Mirror episode. The weakest thing about it is trying to attach the child's play name to it and, and making people expect this this legacy of Chucky and this. Because if they cult. hadn't killed anybody, people would be like, no, like he's got to. He's got to kill something. I mean, he's got to kill somebody, right? Yeah, I mean, it is. That's not even it. Like he, he definitely kills somebody. Yeah. But the reasoning for why he starts to kill somebody makes sense. It has to do with like you know Andy and like bad things that are happening in his life yeah. and arguably abusive things. That Chucky's solution to this is, oh, and he like hears the kid you know crying and lamenting and is, oh, something's hurting Andy, and the best way to solve that is to remove this thing that's hurting him. Uh, it gets when he just decides it's when he has a falling out with Andy and then goes full berserk. Yeah. That it really stops. You don't see the jump. Yeah. Yeah. You don't see that. Okay. That makes sense. That's what I would say. Um, Interesting. It'd have been more interesting like that. So that's my take. That's a lot of talking for me. So now I can throw it over to you guys for the close of the show and tell us what went down at WWE stomping grounds. Did you like it? Were you pleasantly surprised? What was your favorite matches? And what has developed in the time since on Raw? So, Kofi, you mentioned that we have to somewhat eat crow, and you're right. I neither mostly jokes. That neither was... of us really had expectations going to this show, but for the most part, it turned out to be really good. Yeah, it was fun. And it kind of served as a microcosm of what's going on in WWE right now, is you've got probably the best roster this company has ever seen, Mm-hmm. In terms of just pure talent. Absolutely. But the storylines kind of suck. They kind of lack any real depth, and they don't really tend to go anywhere. So when you had these matches that had no real build to them and just said, hey, you've got 12 to 15 minutes, go crazy. Turns out those were the best matches of the night. Yeah. My pick was Ricochet versus Joe, and it had one episode of actual build. It was just, hey, you get a title shot, and I don't like you because I'm a big fat guy who has a title. <laughs> And then they had a 12-minute match, and it was great. Oh, so good. I mean, look, I'll, I'll watch Ricochet in pretty much any match, and he's going to be yeah. great. But I love Joe as well. Like, seeing them finally get a nice spot, a nice push in a pay-per-view was, was amazing. Um, I mean, the same thing, you could say the same thing about my side. So I love that match, but I will say Heavy Machinery and Daniel Bryan and Rowan, that match was phenomenal. Which All, had zero momentum. Yes, nothing. And in fact, I'm amazed. People booed. Otis. Because they were in Washington, and that's Daniel I, Bryan's home I country. know, but man, how do you boo Otis? Otis is amazing. Yeah. Otis is an awesome wrestler. I would never boo Otis. He has no neck. Record. He has no neck, and he, like, dances, and he's this just massive powerhouse. And, Stakes oh, and weights. He's awesome. Oh, he's so great. He's like my spirit animal. Anyway, continue. <laughs> I'm going to get you a shirt that says... no neck is your spirit animal. I'm going to get you a shirt that says bulking season. <laughs> So anyway, yes, so it was. I, I Those matches turned out to be, I mean, all the TV time over the last few weeks has gone to like Baron Corbin and it's gone to the end. Those matches lacked. And, and the thing was, when the show started to fall off was right at the end when suddenly it became all about the story. You have Lacey Evans as the special guest referee and she and Baron are doing everything in their power yeah. to try and get the title away from Seth and it just ends up with oh, Seth's got Becky in his corner because they're dating in real life so which I know you don't I know you I, don't love that I don't care for it because it makes it kind of makes <laughs> Becky just be Seth's boyfriend as a or the other way around just Seth just be Becky's no sorry I, I have the genders mixed up here well, I thought that was intentional. I thought you were throwing shade. No, I, no. I that that was yeah, not you, you, yeah. I know what you're saying. Though. Yeah, I, I understand. How's it feel with the Chowskis moment with a little Wachowski moment? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey. 
Hey, they He's were been waiting. Yeah, I know. He was waiting. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I understand what you're saying. I it doesn't bother me. I guess it never really bothers me though when like they'll use couples in storylines. I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen Nikki and John. We've seen uh, and Miz well and Reese. I'm. Just, I mean, but it's we saw Randy and Elizabeth. Like it's been a, a hallmark. Of yeah, WWF yeah, and WWE, like they always do that. On that. Yeah, that, always, that one has a great history behind. I'm it. saying, but they always do that. Like it's one of the things that they feature, and it's it doesn't bother me. It's not a necessarily negative. My but, problem with that last match was that it dragged on for so and it, and it long. absolutely buried Corbin in terms of having any credibility. And what do they? What anyway. do they? But any that he had at all <laughs> is suddenly gone. And what did they do the next night? And made me groan so loudly was, hey, I bet you guys can't beat us in a mixed tag match. It's like, I wonder what's going to happen in three weeks when we have this match. Oh, you guys, oh, the bad guys lost. Gee, who could have seen that? What will happen is that Matt will be happy then. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted them to move on to something more interesting, and their answer keeps being... No, we're going to stay with the least interesting thing possible. I agree. No, and I don't know why that is. I don't know if that's maybe they don't have... <laughs> they got like 80 writers WWE. I don't know if maybe they don't have something set up yet for Seth's next program. I have no idea what they're waiting on because this is not entertaining. I'm only mildly entertained by this, by the way, and this is probably for a lot of fans, more mainstream fans probably. I'm more entertained by the fact that Seth, that whole couple angle is the most entertaining part of this feud. It has nothing to do with seeing, I don't care about Seth versus Corbin. I didn't care about that before. I I mildly entertain that Becky and Seth are doing this one-off thing and, and featuring their stuff on WWE. That is the most entertaining part of this feud. Now, speaking of Seth, how did you feel about his Twitter tirade? I, more of a crusade this weekend. I love like, it. Hey, we're the we're the best pro wrestling in the world, and I'll fight anybody who says it. I love feisty Seth. Seth's been see, feisty on Twitter. He's been see, a little spicy. Like, I liked it. Yeah, like, yeah. Until he started calling out guys who stepped up and said, I could take it. Because then it's like... It's punching down. But, it's, it's, okay, but they didn't say they would take him. No, because he goes, nobody can do what I do, yeah. and I dare anybody alive to step up. And Osprey, Will Osprey from New Japan, yeah. regarded as one of the best in-ring guys in the world today, yeah. steps up and says, hey, I'm right here. And he, he goes after him and says, oh, we've got Ricochet, and oh, I make more money than you. And it's like, okay, the Ricochet dude, line you're, was good. you're acting like you didn't <laughs> come from the independent scene. You were raised in Ring of Honor. He, true. But so I don't think, act like suddenly that you're on the WWE side and you've planted the flag but I think, that none of the other stuff matters. Here's the thing. I, I'm saying this like I'm not Dr. Phil. I, don't, I can't see inside Seth Rollins' mind. So I'm saying this as a true outsider. I have right. no idea what he's saying. However, what, what it feels like is that it has been very very popular to uh, punch WWE. It's, it's been very much a punching bag over the last few months to a last year. Uh, it's been frequent on social media to see all the negatives, to see it as this thing of like, especially with AEW moving into this thing. They're not true competition yet, but people look at that and they're very apt to not just praise AEW. They're very apt to say WWE sucks. AEW is great. And here's why. As a person who, who's traveling, right, however many days a year he travels, working his, his butt off in the ring. 300 days a year, I'm, 500 I'm events. I'm saying that yep. would get annoying to me. I get annoyed by comments and stuff on Twitter, and I have a 0.3% of what he has to deal with on a day-to-day basis. I could see that getting on his nerves. I like that he's being a little edgy. 
just throwing it out there. It's okay. As, as we've seen from other wrestlers, superstars do this all the time. They'll blow off some steam, and then it'll, it'll be fine. For, but I like it. For me, it's fine to beat your chest. It's fine to believe that you are the best. You should believe you're the best, no matter what position you're in. Otherwise, why get out of bed in the morning? Yeah. Why nice, strive nice, to be nice, any better? <laughs> but I agree. Damn it, go. Here's, but here's the thing. When you start punching down, you start to look foolish. And that's where I feel like he tripped up. Okay. I mean, and, the ricochet line. And in the end, it was just to get attention. And he got that. He got Congratulations. It. We're talking about it right now. Absolutely. And we weren't talking about Seth's promos before this. So <laughs> exactly. just saying that's great. Like, and now, speaking of other stuff we could be talking about, we got Fighter Fest this weekend because you mentioned AEW. I did. And I just happened to be going to Fighter Fest. Look at that. He's going oh, to I'm AEW. I'm all excited for it. Now, I had you take a look at the card before we came on here. What did you think okay. about this card and what match are you looking the most forward to? Well, I wrote it down and then I wrote dropped, it down. I then he my card. He's a professional, you see. <laughs> Uh, got, I actually got official note cards. I do. Uh, I actually like the uh, Elite versus the Lucha Brothers. Okay. That's going to be... The six-man tag match? Yeah. I think that's going to be a fun... I, I mean, I would have gone... I think my first pick was... Was my the, pick? Was your pick. Okay. Because that's... To me, that's the one that grabs me the most. Uh, but I think this one, just because of who it involves... It will be an entertaining match. It will be one of those matches that maybe doesn't like set the world on fire, but you'll be like, that was awesome. That's a that's a four-star or five-star match, whatever your rating scale is. Sure thing. So. For, for people that don't know, this show is taking place in Daytona Beach at the Ocean Center. It's free. It's not like the Double or Nothing pay-per-view from a few weeks ago. It's awesome. It costs 50 bucks. You just go on to BR Live, and it's absolutely free to watch. Um, but the main draw of the show is a guy named Dean Ambrose. Uh, changed his name back to John Moxley and is making his debut on the show. And he's going up against a guy that I would compare to a young Mick Foley. Oh. And that this is a guy that is not afraid to absolutely sacrifice his body in the most obscene stunts possible. This is the guy that had a cigarette stapled to his forehead. Oh, God. During the, uh, during the Battle Royale in the first pay-per-view. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> as soon as I saw these two guys in the same room, I said, oh, these two are going to kill each other. And they're not wasting any time getting to this match. They're yeah. going right into it. And there's going to be a ton of eyes on this show for that match alone. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you watched Double or Nothing, that ending segment with Moxley automatically just, yeah, it, it, was, it was great. So, I mean, Jim you Ross already had going me. Nuts and the it didn't matter who crazy. his opponent was going to be, yeah. honestly, if we're, we're being honest. But I'm really interested to see him go up against him. So. And if you've watched his New Japan stuff in the time between then and now, mm -hmm. He's got a little bit more bite to him, a little, yeah. little bit more of an edge. Well, I can imagine. No more wacky line clotheslines off the ropes. Yeah, he doesn't. Like, oh, I hated those. <laughs> I hated them too. I was not a fan. I think most people hated them. <laughs> I think he did it once and then was told, you have to do that. Every That's your match. move. That's your trademark move. Do it 80 million times. And have Matt Michael Cole scream, wacky line. <laughs> so that's Fighter Fest? That is Fighter Fest. When I'm that excited. Happen? That is Saturday night. Uh, streaming live on the BR Network, and we will be covering it live over at comicbook.com's WWE page. Booyah! That is WWE as a whole, wrapped up in a bow just for you. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, all right. And your boy won. Yeah, Kofi. Still yeah. the champ. Still, Still the, the champ. champ. I saw that. That's what I said. You know, getting out of the bed in the morning. You just got to remember you're the champ. To quote <laughs> the great film, Secret Life of Pet 2, when you're awesome... And you just describe things. It sounds like bragging. Panda. That's panda, right. panda. And that's where we're going to end this episode. I'm that so enigmatic, lost. enigmatic uh, <laughs> barking from Matt. We're going to end this it's episode. It's going to hurt. Snowball. But before we get out of here, 
You guys have been doing the work of leaving us some great reviews of the show as we do our pitch. You can find new episodes of Comic Book Nation every Wednesday and Friday on comicbook.com, where you can find an RSS feed to subscribe to, so you can not miss any of our episodes, or you can subscribe on your favorite listening platform, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Google Play, or you can tell any Amazon Alexa device to play Comic Book Nation podcast, and it will fire right up for you. If you leave us a positive review on any of these platforms, a positive five-star review, we will read them on the air sporadically and send you guys some comic book swag, which now includes the official Comic Book Nation t-shirt. So, in honor of that t-shirt, we are going to dip back in and read some, uh, some of you guys' latest reviews and send these people some nice swag. So, if you hear your review read, be sure to hit us up on social media, at the hashtag Comic Book Nation. We need to know your shirt size and your address. Don't put that out in public. Just hit us yeah, up, and we'll tell you how to email us. There you go. And, uh, yeah, we'll get you some uh, good Comic Book Nation t-shirts. So let's jump into this one. And uh, let's see. I'm trying to say, like, where we stopped last time. I always mess it up and do <laughs> repeats. You uh, only did that once. No, yeah, that's true. That was only because that was one I read. It was just funny. We'll start at this. Uh, we got a three-star review from some hater. Oh, I forget his oh. name. We read that one already. Yeah, yeah I know. We're not going to. I'm saying, Jim, thank you. We're going to start at this point <laughs> as the last place we stopped because we already, we already said that hater. We're not going to give him more shine. So, Comic Book Nation Rise by McGregor. After subscribing to CB.com on Facebook for some time, I finally saw an ad for the podcast. I immediately fell in love with the dynamic and variety the show offers. Kofi does an excellent job at wrangling the show along with honest and funny input, while BD keeps it realer than Dave Chappelle with great rants and raves. The rotating guest hosts are always funny and pleasant and always offer quality to every show. The best part is when the group goes on off, to, off on a tangent and the great debate ensues. Matt, that's you. What? what? <laughs> Why is that me? their views on the subject at hand. I can listen to their sibling-esque squabbles for hours if Kofi would allow it. Great chemistry between everyone on the show and the variety of topics keep the show fresh. The special edition surprise episodes are, so, are also welcome additions. Only complaint I have is that the show isn't daily. This has definitely become my favorite new podcast and will recommend anyone who loves geek culture and life culture for that matter. Listen to this show, all caps, and to white thumbs up. That's nice. That's that a nice is review. a thorough, awesome review by McGregor. If we had an Thank applause you. button, that would get applause. Yeah, if we had an applause button, that would get an applause. That is a great review, and you deserve a T-shirt. Here's the next one. Your one stop for the stuff that matters by the Jones One Two Three Four. The only place to go for everything you need to know about geek culture, from Marvel to Game of Thrones to Walking Dead to Disney. That's you again, Matt. The guys have it covered. <laughs> Sometimes they'll throw in some anime and wrestling. Connor! Dang right. Which I'm not well-versed in, but listening to all their conversation makes me feel like I'm ready to discuss all of the big topics of the week. Love the podcast. Must Listen by Mike James. Mike James. Mike James. I got into podcasts recently, and this is the first one I found, but also the one I look forward to the most now that I have a list, a list of a few I keep up on. Listening to it is like listening to a conversation you might have with your friends on all things comic-related. I used to spend a lot of time each day reading the latest comic-related news, but now I can just listen to this podcast while I'm driving to work and save my reading time for something else. Hey, we are here to help. Uh, finally, a good podcast by Sam Hien 2099 Ooh, that's a deep cut. 
Awesome stuff, guys. Love all the content you cover. Keep them podcasts coming. Next one, and this one I really appreciate. Link's Awakening is the OG Game Boy game <laughs> <laughs> by Apps Rule 311. Love you guys. Keep up the good work. CG, that is constructive criticism. Yes, we we totally mistake Link's Awakening a couple episodes ago. Uh, we were discussing it, thinking it was the second NES game. <laughs> That's, uh, oh, I forget. Oh, man, I had Adventures that. Adventures of Link. Adventures of Link. Thank you. And we confused it with the awesome Game Boy game. But this is why we have great fans. Constructive criticism. That man deserves a T-shirt. Very and true. the last one I will end on today, because we will have some more thorough and informative. I really enjoy this comic book pop culture podcast. Oh, by uh, Lil Par- <laughs> Little Parmigiano. <laughs> I love that name. I really enjoy this comic book pop culture podcast due to its wide range of topics when it comes to nerd culture. Everything from films, universes, comic books, video games, and more. The core group works well together, even when bickering. Matt, there's you again. And make each episode fun (laughs) and entertaining, and the guests add to that each week as well. I always end up discovering new comics and content from your episodes. Thank you. No, thank you all for your kind reviews. We really do love you guys for that. It really, I mean, you know, it really does make us feel good and to get this feedback. So uh, we appreciate what you do, and to show that, please, again, hit us up. Hashtag Comic Book Nation will give you an email address which I promise I won't air over the air again. <laughs> but we'll send you guys some comic book swag once we get your shirt size and your address. So uh, hit us up, and if you guys are a fan and you haven't yet left a review, please do, because we're going to go through these more often now. So that'll do it for us here at Comic Book Nation. We'll see you guys later on in the week. Deuces. Deuces.